Letters thirty two and thirty three of Clarissa Harlowe, Volume two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. Clarissa Harlowe, Volume two by Samuel Richardson. Letter thirty two. Miss Clarissa Harlowe to Miss Howe. I am glad my papers are safe in your hands. I will make it my endeavour to deserve your good opinion that I may not at once disgrace your judgment and my own heart. I have another letter from Mr. Lovelace. He is extremely apprehensive of the meeting I am to have with Mr. Solmes to-morrow. He says that the airs that wretch gives himself on the occasion add to his concern, and it is with infinite difficulty that he prevails upon himself not to make him a visit to let him know what he may expect, if compulsion be used towards me in his favour. He assures me that Solmes has actually talked with tradesmen of new equipages, and names the people in town with whom he has treated, that he has even, was there ever such a horrid wretch, allotted this and that apartment in his house for a nursery and other offices. How shall I bear to hear such a creature talk of love to me? I shall be out of all patience with him. Besides, I thought that he did not dare to make or talk of these impudent preparations, so inconsistent as such are with my brother's views, but I fly the subject. Upon this confidence of Solmes, you will less wonder at that of Lovelace, in pressing me in the name of all his family, to escape from so determined a violence as is intended to be offered to me at my uncle's, that the forward contriver should propose Lord M.'s chariot and six to be at the stile that leads up to the lonely coppice adjoining to our paddock. You will see how audaciously he mentions settlements ready drawn, horsemen ready to mount, and one of his cousins Montague to be in the chariot, or at the George in the neighbouring village, waiting to accompany me to Lord M.'s, or to Lady Betty's, or Lady Sarah's, or to town, as I please. And upon such orders, or conditions, and under such restrictions, as to himself, as I shall prescribe. You will see how he threatens to watch and waylay them, and to rescue me, as he calls it, by an armed force of friends and servants, if they attempt to carry me against my will to my uncle's, and this whether I give my consent to the enterprise or not, since he shall have no hopes if I am once there. Oh, my dear friend! Who can think of these things, and not be extremely miserable in her apprehensions? This mischievous sex! What had I to do with any of them, or they with me? I had deserved this, were it by my own seeking, by my own giddiness, that I had brought myself into this situation. I wish with all my heart! But how foolish we are apt to wish, when we find ourselves unhappy, and know not how to help ourselves! On your mother's goodness, however, is my reliance if I can but avoid being precipitated on either hand till my cousin Morden arrives, a reconciliation must follow, and all will be happy. I have deposited a letter for Mr. Lovelace, in which I charge him, as he would not disoblige me for ever, to avoid any rash step, any visit to Mr. Solmes, which may be followed by acts of violence. I reassure him that I will sooner die than be that man's wife. Whatever be my usage, whatever shall be the result of the apprehended interview, I insist upon it that he presume not to offer violence to any of my friends, and express myself highly displeased that he should presume upon such an interest in my esteem as to think himself entitled to dispute my father's authority in my removal to my uncle's, although I tell him that I will omit neither prayers nor contrivance, even to the making myself ill, to avoid going. To-morrow is Tuesday. How soon comes upon us the day we dread! Oh, that a deep sleep of twenty-four hours would seize my faculties! but then the next day would be Tuesday, as to all the effects and purposes for which I so much dread it. If this reach you before the event of the so much apprehended interview can be known, pray for your Clarissa Harlowe. End of letter 32
Clarissa Harlow, Volume Two, by Samuel Richardson, Letter Thirty Three. Miss Clarissa Harlow to Miss Howe, Tuesday morning, six o'clock. The day is come. I wish it were happily over. I have had a wretched night. Hardly a wink have I slept, ruminating upon the approaching interview. The very distance of time to which they consented has added solemnity to the meeting, which otherwise it would not have had. A thoughtful mind is not a blessing to be coveted, unless it had such a happy vivacity with it as yours, a vivacity which enables a person to enjoy the present without being over-anxious about the future. Tuesday, eleven o'clock. I have had a visit from my Aunt Harvey. Betty, in her alarming way, told me I should have a lady to breakfast with me, whom I little expected, giving me to believe it was my mother. This fluttered me so much on hearing a lady coming upstairs, supposing it was she, and not knowing how to account for her motives in such a visit, after I had been so long banished from her presence, that my aunt at her entrance took notice of my disorder, and after her first salutation, "'Why, miss,' said she, "'you seem surprised. Upon my word, you thoughtful young ladies have strange apprehensions about nothing at all. What,' taking my hand, "'can be the matter with you? Why, my dear, tremble, tremble, tremble at this rate. You'll not be fit to be seen by anybody. Come, my love,' kissing my cheek, pluck up a courage. By this needless flutter on the approaching interview, when it is over you will judge of your other antipathies, and laugh at yourself for giving way to so apprehensive an imagination. I said that whatever we strongly imagined was in its effect at the time more than imaginary, although to others it might not appear so, that I had not rested one hour all night, that the impertinence set over me, by giving me room to think my mother was coming up, had so much disconcerted me, that I should be very little qualified to see anybody I disliked to see. There was no accounting for these things, she said. Mr. Solmes last night supposed he should be under as much agitation as I could be. Who is it, then, madam, that so reluctant an interview on both sides is to please? Both of you, my dear, I hope, after the first flurries are over. The most apprehensive beginnings, I have often known, make the happiest conclusions. There can be but one happy conclusion to the intended visit, and that is, that both sides may be satisfied it will be the last. She then represented how unhappy it would be for me, if I did not suffer myself to be prevailed upon. She pressed me to receive Mr. Solmes as became my education, and declared that his apprehensions on the expectation he had of seeing me were owing to his love and his awe, intimating that true love is ever accompanied by fear and reverence, and that no blustering, braving lover could deserve encouragement. To this I answered, that constitution was to be considered, that a man of spirit would act like one, and could do nothing meanly, that a creeping mind would creep into everything, where it had a view to obtain a benefit by it, an insult where it had power, and nothing to expect, that this was not a point now to be determined with me, that I had said as much as I could possibly say on the subject, that this interview was imposed upon me, by those indeed who had a right to impose it, but that it was sorely against my will complied with, and for this reason that there was aversion, not wilfulness, in the case, and so nothing could come of it but a pretence, as I much apprehended, to use me still more severely than I had been used. She was then pleased to charge me with prepossession and prejudice. She expatiated upon the duty of a child. She imputed to me abundance of fine qualities, but told me that in this case that of persuadableness was wanting to crown all. She insisted upon the merit of obedience, although my will were not in it. From a little hint I gave of my still greater dislike to see Mr. Solmes, on account of the freedom I had treated him with, she talked to me of his forgiving disposition, of his infinite respect for me, and I cannot tell what of this sort. I never found myself so fretful in my life, and so I told my aunt, and begged her pardon for it. But she said it was well disguised then, 
for she saw nothing but little tremors which were usual with young ladies when they were to see their admirers for the first time and this might be called so with respect to me since it was the first time i had consented to see mr solmes in that light but that the next how madam interrupted i is it then imagined that i give this meeting on that footing to be sure it is child to be sure it is madam then i do yet desire to decline it i will not i cannot see him if he expects me to see him upon those terms niceness punctilio mere punctilio niece can you think that your appointment day place hour and knowing what the intent of it was is to be interpreted away as a mere ceremony and to mean nothing let me tell you my dear your father mother uncles everybody respect this appointment as the first act of your compliance with their wills and therefore recede not i desire you but make a merit of what cannot be avoided oh the hideous wretch pardon me madam i to be supposed to meet such a man as that with such a view and he to be armed with such an expectation but it cannot be that he expects it whatever others may do it is plain he cannot by the fears he tell you all he shall have to see me if his hope were so audacious he could not fear so much indeed he has this hope and justly founded too but his fear arises from his reverence as i told you before his reverence his unworthiness tis so apparent that even he himself sees it as well as everybody else hence his offers to purchase me hence it is that settlements are to make up for acknowledged want of merit his unworthiness say you not so fast my dear does not this look like setting a high value upon yourself we all have exalted notions of your merit niece but nevertheless it would not be wrong if you were to arrogate less to yourself though more were to be your due than your friends attribute to you i am sorry madam it should be thought arrogance in me to suppose i am not worthy of a better man than mr solmes both as to person and mind and as to fortune i thank god i despise all that can be insisted upon in his favour from so poor a plea she told me it signified nothing to talk i knew the expectation of every one indeed i did not it was impossible i could think of such a strange expectation upon a compliance made only to shew i would comply in all that was in my power to comply with i might easily she said have supposed that every one thought i was beginning to oblige them all by the kind behaviour of my brother and sister to me in the garden last sunday by my sister's visit to me afterwards in my chamber although both more stiffly received by me than were either wished or expected by my uncle harlowe's affectionate visit to me the same afternoon not indeed so very gratefully received as i used to receive his favours but this he kindly imputed to the displeasure i had conceived at my confinement and to my intention to come off by degrees that i might keep myself in countenance for my past opposition see my dear the low cunning of that sunday management which then so much surprised me and see the reason why dr lewen was admitted to visit me yet forbore to enter upon a subject about which i thought he came to talk to me for it seems there was no occasion to dispute with me on the point i was to be supposed to have conceded to see also how unfairly my brother and sister must have represented their pretended kindness when though they had an end to answer by appearing kind their antipathy to me seems to have been so strong that they could not help insulting me by their arm-in-arm lover-like behaviour to each other as my sister afterwards likewise did when she came to borrow my kempis i lifted up my hands and eyes i cannot said i give this treatment a name the end so unlikely to be answered by means so low i know whose the whole is he that could get my uncle harlowe to contribute his part and to procure the acquiescence of the rest of my friends to it must have the power to do anything with them against me again my aunt told me that talking and invective now i had given the expectation would signify nothing she hoped i would not shew every one that they had been too forward in their constructions of my desire to oblige them 
she could assure me that it would be worse for me if now i receded than if i had never advanced advanced madam how can you say advanced why this is a trick upon me a poor low trick pardon me madam i don't say you have a hand in it but my dearest aunt tell me will not my mother be present at this dreaded interview will she not so far favour me were it but to qualify qualify my dear interrupted she your mother and your uncle harlowe would not be present on this occasion for the world oh then madam how can they look upon my consent to this interview as an advance my aunt was displeased at this home push miss clary said she there is no dealing with you it would be happy for you and for everybody else were your obedience as ready as your wit i will leave you not in anger i hope madam interrupted i all i meant was to observe that let the meeting issue as it may and as it must issue it cannot be a disappointment to anybody oh miss you seem to be a very determined young creature mr solmes will be here at your time and remember once more that upon the coming afternoon depend upon the peace of your whole family and your own happiness and so saying down she hurried here i will stop in what way i shall resume or when is not left to me to conjecture much less determine i am excessively uneasy no good news from your mother i doubt i will deposit thus far for fear of the worst adieu my best rather my only friend clarissa harlowe end of letter thirty three